Hey everybody, welcome to the Tech Lab. David here. Andrea here. And we are excited to do another episode of the Text Lab where we do a deep dive into the text to help you prep for life groups this week. So really, whether you're in a group, whether you're leading a group, our goal is just to help you be a disciple who makes a disciple. And so uh, we're just really hoping this can kind of be um, something that you can use to have meaningful conversations about what God has said to us in his word. And so uh, this week we're, we're doing a deep dive into John 4, 43, and we'll continue on into chapter 5 through verse 15. And so let's dive in. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when, Jesus, when he came to Galilee... The Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and his all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who was there had been paralyzed for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, He said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Wow. All right. Let's dig in. So where do you think we start? So I think when we come to a text like this, it's always just to remember uh, kind of some of our key exegetical tools that we can use every time we interpret scripture. Um, And one of those that's really helpful is to think about asking the right questions about the text in order to get at the author's intended meaning. So we're asking not only 
what is God speaking to us through the Bible? But really, first of all, we're, we're asking, what is John saying in this text? And how is God speaking through John? You can kind of see the difference there a little bit. Because God is always speaking through historical context, through real life situations. And so we're really trying to understand the mind of the author, their reality, to get into their town in order to understand the context. And then we can understand the truth of God spoken through the biblical author. Um, I think the Bible just doesn't make any sense if you don't take that step first. Sure, exactly. So two ways to think about this, basic categories, right? You want to ask questions about content, Mm. what is being said, and questions about context, why it's being said. Mm. Those are the two questions to keep in front of us, the why behind the what. That's good, Andrea. Did you come up with that? (laughs) (laughs) You might have heard that before somewhere else. I wonder. Um, I used to have a college professor who would say this, you can't understand what it means until you understand what it meant. So Mm. same idea here, content and context give us this greater understanding of what's actually going on in scripture. So I think starting with this text, keeping those questions in mind, both the question of content, the what and the context, the why, um, take a look at the geography here again, geography popping up again in the book of John. So they were just in Sychar, not Sidecar Donuts, but Sychar, um, which is in Samaria, John 4, 4, it says that Jesus had to go into Samaria. Remember, he didn't actually have to go there. Um, The Jews usually avoided that area at all costs, but Jesus chose to go there because he was following God's will. And now Jesus goes to Galilee and something kind of similar is mentioned about this location. Jesus says um, that a prophet has no honor in his own country, yet he goes to Galilee anyways. And it's kind of this point that Jesus is intentionally going to these cities and towns knowing some will accept him and some will reject him. Leon Morris, uh, a commentator, puts it this way, uh, that Jesus came to his own, not under a delusion that he would be welcomed, but knowing full well he would be rejected. And this did not take him by surprise, but it was God's divine plan. So he goes to Galilee. I just think that's like uh, pretty helpful for us to pay attention to because it really tells us Jesus is doing specific things to fulfill God's mission. Yeah, so like paying attention to geography and understanding things is really important. One simple way to figure out what's going on in geography is just using Google and it can help mm. you understand the difference between like they were in Folsom versus they were in San Francisco and how yeah. you would totally get a different feel for the, the culture, the yep. politics of the day, the geography, whatever it was, yep. helps you understand more about what's going on. Totally. And really that can sometimes take 10 seconds just to Google this first century city and it'll oftentimes just give you a little bit of background. You can kind of understand more of the context. And so Jesus goes back to Cana, where he had turned water into wine. The Galileans had been there at the Passover that happened right after that, where they had seen Jesus flipping tables. Um, And you can kind of see his ministry growing, people responding to him in different ways. And so there's this royal official that comes to Jesus, this official that asks him to heal his son. So who is this guy? Tell us a little bit about the official. So commentators tell us that this is likely a member of Herod's household. Mm. This is that same family who tried to kill Jesus at his birth. Like you remember Jesus runs off to Egypt with his parents. These are the people trying to kill Jesus. And now, ironically, this somebody who would be serving this household is Mm. now asking Jesus to heal his son. Right? Super powerful. So this man would have traveled about 20 to 25 miles or so to see Jesus. So imagine going from EDH to Placerville without a freeway mm. on foot uphill both ways in the snow is there an in and out there still? um so it, yeah there's an in and out so <laughs> in, at least he's gonna get a burger right um but it would have taken 
what, five hours, yeah. something like yeah. that. And um, this guy was really serious about mm. getting his son healed. And it's interesting. He comes and he asks Jesus, will you heal my son? And Jesus rebukes kind of uh, either him or kind of all the crowd that would have been with him and says, unless these people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. But then the next thing he does is he heals the son and John says, this is a sign of Jesus. And so there's kind of this paradox going on where Jesus rebukes them for asking for a sign, but then he does the healing and he shows them a sign anyways. And I think there's kind of some theological understanding here about what is a sign and what point is Jesus making here. And ultimately he's addressing their mentality that's, Jesus, what can you do for me? Show me something, Jesus. Impress me. Um, Kind of give me a little bit of a sign that I can kind of get behind you and kind of be impressed with what you're doing. And Jesus is saying, it's not about the sign. Um, This request that you're asking for, it's not about that. The point is belief and faith and trust and following Jesus. The sign only reveals the identity of Christ. Um, And it, it is calling us into repentance and to belief in Jesus. Yeah. Wow, there's just so much here. Mm. So this idea that there's a sign is just kind of confusing. So something that might help you think a little bit more clearly about it is you get a road sign on the road. It's not really about the sign itself. It's about what the sign is telling you to do or where it's leading you or giving you direction. Um, Same idea here with Jesus. Yes, he's showing us that he can heal, but why is he showing us then heal? What does that lead us to do or believe about him? Totally. The sign isn't about the sign itself. It's pointing us in the right direction. It's pointing us to something greater, uh, ultimately belief in Jesus. And and you see that this royal official, he believes in Jesus. It says that him and his whole household, they see this sign and they respond and they believe. But then we get kind of a little bit of a different story that comes next. John is showing us this example of somebody, the royal officials, who sees the sign and believes. And then we move into the pool of Bethesda. <laughs> Which is a very different response to Jesus. You see the a royal official respond with belief. But then you come to this next story where there says there's a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus comes up to him and says, do you want to get well? And so can we just pause here and... Take a minute and think about this question that Jesus asked him. If you've been paralyzed for 38 years, do you want to get well? Of course he wants to get well. But Jesus is is asking a question here to get to the heart of the matter again. He does this with Nicodemus. He does this with the woman at the well, um, asking her deeper questions. And he does this again with the man. And, and Jesus' point isn't, do you actually want to get well? The question is, do you know that you need to get well? And do you know who can help you get well. Really, do you know that you're sick is the question that Jesus is asking here. Yet Christ in his kindness and graciousness goes ahead and heals him. Again, he performs a sign, a third sign here um, that John John says Jesus performs, but it's not about the sign uh, again. And so what happens after that? How does he respond? Right. So this guy, first of all, doesn't even know who heals him, which I kind of Mm. begs the question, like some random guy comes up to you in your ailment and tells you to go do something like, why would he even have taken Mm. that instruction? But then you have these Jewish leaders who you would think they see this guy who they know has been sick for 38 years and all of a sudden he's walking and they don't go to like, wow, that's amazing. You Mm. can walk. They go to, dude, it's the Sabbath. Put your mat down. Yeah. And that just seems really like this the weirdest response, but I think it also speaks to how often we get tied up in like the right versus the wrong. They were so busy following the law that they couldn't see that 
the Messiah was right in front of them. And and that's super important because the law was always about worship, right? Like sometimes we bash the law and we're like, ah, look at these guys. They're overly concerned with the law. But the law was ultimately always about the worship of God, about the glory of God. But they had taken the law and made it something else. And you can see how they can't even distinguish that now. This man had been healed after 38 years of being sick, but they go turn it into rule following rather than into worship. And you see the man um, kind of in that same place. And I think John's point here is just really contrasting uh, the way that this healing happens uh, at the pool of Bethesda with the healing of the royal official's son. One turned into uh, rule falling, the other really turned into worship and belief. And there's this real contrast happening here between these two stories, um, which really is making the big point, I think, to us about how are we going to respond to Jesus? Will we accept him and worship him and believe like the royal official did? Um, or are we going to reject him? Will we see and doubt? Will we criticize? Uh, will we um, be people who are who are more concerned with other things, our, our own rules that we're trying to follow, our own kingdom, our own concerns, or are we going to accept and believe in Jesus. There's a big contrast happening here in these two stories that I think is really the big idea that John is making. How are we going to respond to Christ? Some accept him, but some reject him. So kind of bringing this into our town, bringing this into just our own life with God and personal application, kind of what would you take away from this? Yeah, I think there's so much you can take away, but um, if I have to settle on one thing, I would say like, what? how do I ask myself that question that Jesus asked the man at the pool? Like, do I want to get well? What do I want to get well? And do I look to Jesus to be the answer to that wellness, whether it's a circumstantial healing, like the pain goes away or things get better, or it's a spiritual healing where I learn to live in peace regardless of my circumstances. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like that's, for me, kind of one thing that really stands out from yeah, this passage. That's a great question to talk about in your life group this week. Do I want to get well? And, and where do I look to for that? Um, I think where we turn to in that question, for the answer to that question, really believe, reveals what we believe about the good life. Where is the good life? What has the answers of life? Do I want to get w- well? Where do I turn to for that? Is that my vacation I'm going on? Uh, is that my job promotion? Is that my bigger house? Is that going to bring me to flourishing or is it in Christ? I think that answer reveals our hearts, what we believe about the good life. I think for me, it's even just, do I know that I'm sick? Do I, do I want to get well? But also just, do I know that I'm sick? Like Jesus uh, asking me that question, do you want to get well? But really, do you even know that you need healing? Um, and is that answer ultimately in Christ? Kind of just, just being in a posture of remembering my desperate dependence on Jesus that is continually uh, going on. And, and I think that really kind of just begins with being honest about my own weakness, totally. honest about my own sin um, with God with others, with myself. Like once you start to get honest about our broken condition, uh, it's a lot easier to be desperate and dependent there. You're able not to try and hide so much and you're able to really live into that continually. Yeah, I, I know that every single day I'm sick. Every single day I continually need a healer who's the only one that can make me well. And that leads us into a place where we're ready to accept Christ. We're ready to believe in him and follow him and respond to his call and invitation to discipleship um, because we know that healing is only in him. So I think those are great questions. Talk about those this week with your group. Um, Where do you turn to for healing? Do you want to get well? And do you know that you're sick and that, that Jesus is the only one who can heal that and who can, who can ultimately heal our hearts and make us new? I think I'd add to that, like, 
just be bold in taking that brokenness to Jesus. Mm. He already knows. Yeah. You're not going to share anything totally. with him. That's not yeah. not going to it's not going to surprise him. He knew the guy was sick for 38 mm. years. Everybody else knew. And then Jesus was able to make yeah. things better. Yeah. So don't be shy about it. That's great. That's great. Hey, well, thanks for spending your time with us. We hope this is encouraging and uh, brings you some just different insights into the text and really helps you to live it out and apply it. Our promise to you is that we're going to do our best to make this time valuable to you, um, the leader. And if this helps you in any way, let us know. Awesome. Whether you're out on a walk, mowing the lawn, driving, whatever you like to do while listening to podcasts, we hope you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to walk through the text. Yep. As always, do your own prep. Let the Spirit lead and guide you know that you are one who has sent this week um, into your family, into your neighborhood, to your Pray Watch community, wherever you go to be the living proof of Jesus, the living proof of a loving God this week. Awesome. We love you guys. We'll catch you next time on the Text Lab.